trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies, they're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. I'm glad you could join me today. Our program is brought to you by HSLAmmo.com, MonticelloCollege.org, and Pure-Light.com. Now, you're thinking these are some pretty cool names. Probably some great businesses behind them, and you would be right. I should just say businesses and organizations. And what I would like you to do is maybe uh, jump online, go to my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. When you look in today's show notes, right at the bottom of the page, you're going to find a special section there for sponsors with links to each of their respective websites. Click on them. Take a look. You know, when you have a few minutes, just see what they have to offer. If you have, if you need what they have to offer, please do business with them. Refer your friends to them. Or if you choose, just reach out and let them know their message is reaching you via this platform. So welcome to the show. Got a lot to talk about. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm getting ready to uh, travel to St. George. <clears throat> Going to be speaking to a Liberty Conference. Uh, put in. Uh, let's see, this is being put on by the Liberty Action Coalition. What makes me happy about this? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's the fact that grassroots people who have looked around and and somehow got the impression that uh, things are not going particularly well at this stage of our beloved republic, but they're looking for ways to provide solutions, to come together, whether it's as committees of correspondence or committees of safety, but it's the grassroots people not looking to their political leaders, please, please save us. Because political leaders more often than not are like, oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. As they put, you know, more and more chains on us or bind us down with debt. This is uh, average people, people like you and me, trying to find solutions. And I'm really looking forward to a chance to be part of a very stellar lineup of speakers who will be addressing them uh, tomorrow in St. George. So if you're going to be in that audience, I'm really looking forward to seeing you. And uh, I, I hope to have a little synopsis of what I'll be talking about as uh, after, after I share my remarks. I say after because, look, I've been working on this for, for a few weeks. I mean, I take this seriously. This is, I feel like this is a sacred trust. You've been asked, share some ideas with people. So it's, it's not like, uh, I'm not going to go shoot from the hip, but, uh, but I can honestly say I don't know exactly what my message is going to be because sometimes uh, I've, I've prepared, you know, talks or presentations for groups of people, got up to give it, and in the moment that I'm starting my remarks, realized there's a different message that needs to be spoken. And, I, and I'm very grateful to have the resources available to me um, to, to be able to drop on those and you know be flexible enough to adapt to what that message needs to be. So I'm looking forward to a great day. And uh, again, I hope I see you there. If not, uh, I'll at least have some kind of a synopsis for you. So I want to start today with the understanding that we all tend to see ourselves as the hero of our own story. And that's not conceited. It's just, you know... We're the one character that we all know best, and I assume we're hoping for the best, right? We don't see ourselves as a villain. Well, maybe some people do, but what we fail to recognize, at least often we don't see, the heroics that make up our lives and that that make us into the hero of our story are small but heroic acts that require legitimate courage on our part. 
And maybe I can give you an example here. I think uh, there's a decision that every one of us is going to have to make, probably sooner than later, regarding vaccine passports. Well, as luck would have it, one of my heroes, Kent McManigal, who uh, writes, uh, he has his own blog, but he also has uh, a very regular uh, contribution to everything-voluntary.com, has written an essay about why he won't accept a vaccine passport. And I think he's got the right idea of how to approach this. Kent McManigal says, I'm already opposed to all forms of government ID, so why wouldn't I oppose uh, vaccine passports too? He says, now I realize no one who makes these decisions is going to listen to a nobody like me. I'm not a government supremacist, so they wouldn't take me seriously, even if they knew I exist, and I agreed with them. He says, I wasn't around when most government papers were first issued, so there wasn't a lot I could do. They'd already been accepted by most people and entrenched in the way things work long before I was born, although it's gotten a lot worse during my lifetime. But he says, there aren't widespread vaccine passports yet, and I plan to be as non-compliant and obstinate as I can. And I plan to encourage non-compliance from others as well. This seems the best opportunity for a clear line in the sand that I've seen. He says, maybe together we can throw wooden shoes in the cogs, even if we fail, at least we didn't go quietly. Now, Ken McManigal says, if you have your reasons for supporting vaccine passports, I would like to hear them. He says, I know some people are more afraid of COVID than I am, and there's nothing I can do about that. If someone doesn't see by now that the fear-mongering was overblown, there's nothing I can say to convince them. But he says, I'm not obligated to arrange my life around their fears, nor am I obligated to quietly comply with new government demands that violate my basic liberty. Not even through some imaginary social contract that seems to say anyone can do anything they want to me as long as they call themselves political authority and claim they're doing the bidding of society. So for a while at least, maybe vaccine passports passports won't be necessary when ordering groceries online for contactless drop-off after the unclean are no longer allowed in stores. (laughs) So you won't be relying on some passported person to bring you food, yet. But he says eventually... That won't be good enough. They'll want to hurt those who don't comply. What then? And by the way, he's not just making that up. That's actually been, you know, voiced out loud by various experts as well as bureaucrats and government leaders who've wondered, well, what do we do? What if we take away the the carrot, you know? What's the stick going to be and what's the carrot going to be to get people to do what we want them to do? We can't give them back all their freedoms right now. This is one of the reasons why some of the states and some of the countries are dragging their feet on uh, things like reopening their society. Now, Kent McManigal says, I've said for a long time that libertarians may be headed for a fate of being second-class residents. As tracking demands get more numerous and more rigid to the point where most of us can't or simply can't comply. This is just another move in that direction. But this is the question he ends on, and this is the one that I want to kind of burn itself into our hearts. What are you going to do about it? See, I think a lot of good people see it coming. Maybe they even have expressed some reservations. Well, I'm really not accepting of that. But but in the back of their minds, they they have convinced themselves, you know, that uh, that decision of pass or play is never really going to get here. So, you know, I'll just continue to voice my concerns, but I don't really have a firm line in the sand or a firm plan of action should someone someday say, look, you can no longer bank with us if you don't have a vaccine passport. You can no longer operate your car and have a driver's license without a vaccine passport. 
I mean, you already see it when it comes to international travel. So what are you going to do about it? And the reason I bring this up is not to make you afraid. I, I mean, look, there's enough fear going on in the world. This is simply acknowledgement of a, an unpleasant fact, but nonetheless a fact. The net is closing. And there are things that you can do and decisions that have to be made that are best made before you find yourself standing right there at the crossroads and you can't take one more step without choosing, do I go this direction or do I go that direction? Do I comply or do I suffer? Do I go ahead and and take the harder path because my gut, my heart tells me that's the right thing to do? Now, I can't answer this for you. Like I say, I, we, we all see ourselves as the hero of our own story. And in my heart, I want to believe that, yes, I am, I'm heroic enough. I will make the right decision. I will bravely stand. But the truth of the matter is I really haven't stood at that crossroads yet. I haven't been denied access to, you know, all the vital institutions of my life because I don't have my vaccine yet. But I do believe that day is likely coming. And I'm very seriously contemplating, okay, at what point? At what point do I say, I can go no further? Do I have my my Martin Luther moment, right? Here I stand. And, you know, I'm not going to go nail my theses to the cathedral door, but I need to know ahead of time whether I will go along or whether I'm willing to take the tougher route. And I'm not saying this because, yes, I'm so brave and so wise. I'm just telling you, that's a decision every one of us is going to have to make at some point. So this would be a good time to start thinking about it contemplating, you know, how far would I go? Where would I part with polite society if that was necessary? What am I willing to sacrifice? And I'm talking, you know, besides, some things are off limits, okay? I'm not going to sacrifice my family. Family comes first. It's probably the highest priority of everything that I can choose from. But my my name, my reputation, my ability to easily earn a living, or at least without many complications, you see what I'm talking about? I know we think that day will never come, but I can tell you from from my own personal experience and from my rudimentary study of history, in fact, that decision comes into the life of every man, every woman, every child. At some point, you will have to make a decision. So the time to start thinking about it is as early as possible. Best time to start thinking about it was 20 years ago. Next best time is right this minute. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, I was, I was going to steer clear of this topic just because this is kind of a hot button And even for me, this is kind of a knee-jerk topic, but since President Biden had his press conference yesterday and announced that, by executive action, I'm going to take control of guns and going to do what I can to make the American public safe, which, let me translate that, by executive action, I'm going to do my best to make it as difficult as possible for those people who actually bother to obey the laws to protect themselves, whether it be from criminals, whether it be from governments, I'm going to make them safe to do whatever they're told. Yeah, I'm spinning it, but I, I think there's probably more truth in my spin than there is in what he said. And when ta- with all the talk about pr- proposed gun control measures, 
there's a hard reality that we need to face. And I don't enjoy it, but I'm not going to shy away from it either. There comes a point where changing minds is no longer an option. And this is not a call to violence, though I can tell you right now, some people would, would see it as such simply because, what, you're, you're saying that you, you won't agree with this? You won't do what I'm telling you to do? That's exactly what I'm saying. I won't. And I'm not even going to try to change your mind. Instead of arguing about something that you wish to force upon me, I will simply put my efforts into peaceful but determined actions that will very clearly illustrate where I stand. I'm going to explain what I mean by uh, those peaceful but determined actions. I don't know if you remember, I'm sure most people remember, back in 2017, October 1st, the uh, Route 91 Harvest Musical Fest- Music Festival. Uh, this was the outdoor concert in Vegas where a gunman um, apparently shot nearly 500 people, killed more than 50 of them. And, I mean, it was, it was the best and worst of humanity on display. Strangers were coming to each other's aid in the face of very calculated, pitiless evil in action. Now, we, we know about the story. We know about what came out of it. In fact, President Trump, I'm sorry to say, set the stage for what President Biden was doing yesterday in that, uh, well, by executive order, I'm going to ban these bump stocks. And you know what? People went along with it. I believe the NRA actually went along with it. And it's because, well, why would you die on that hill? But now, here we go again, and, you know, you take a couple isolated events, and yes, these have been high-profile shootings, the one in Boulder, Colorado, the one in Atlanta, but now every shooting involving more than one person, another mass shooting, they don't tell you whether it was gang members shooting at one another or something else, it's being treated as if it's another Las Vegas massacre. And and this is this is to be expected. Crass political grandstanders always are looking for some way to exploit whatever horror they can find to their advantage. And, and Biden and his handlers are no different. And by the way, it's not just the pathetic gun control groupies who would fit everybody for diapers because one individual crapped his pants. It's their infatuation with control. That's the problem, because it's founded on this totalitarian notion that having sufficient power over you will somehow prevent evil from taking place. Where have we heard that before? If only we could control the people. If only, if only everybody could be forced to do what's right, yes, that would be the ticket. And, and they don't honestly, they don't recognize the immorality that's inherent in that lust to deprive innocent people of essential natural rights, including that right to defend their lives which means with the best tools possible. Now, this exploitation could also be seen in uh, those who tried to find, you know, some way to tie the accused shooter to a particular political or religious philosophy. I think, uh, you know, in the the case of the supermarket shooter in Boulder, there was at least one uh, individual who tweeted, it's a white guy, you know it is, it's always a white guy. And then when it came out, well, actually, it was a Syrian immigrant and Muslim who did it. Why does that matter? Are, are we going to accuse all Syrians or all Muslims of being guilty of this? Or can we look at the individual who actually did the wrong? And it's sad to me that so many people find identity in who or what they are against rather than, uh, you know, looking to, to see. Was it just an individual acting out this act of barbarism? I mean, they're trying to use it to justify their hatred. But the bottom line is they're, they're exploiting it. We need to call it what it is. So as, as our societal decline continues, unabated at this point, our divisions are showing more clearly than ever, and 
This may be hard for some people to swallow, but I think we've reached the point where changing minds is no longer an option. Now, again, I'm going to reiterate, this is not a call to violence. Not the kind of violence like we've seen in the groups that claim to promote tolerance or justice, even as they're beating innocent people over the head with signs that read, Stop the hate! (laughs) This is more of an acknowledgement that trying to reason with people who've slipped beyond the event horizon of irrationality, it's, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. Rather than engaging in pointless purse-swinging on social media, I think you and I should be focusing on fortifying our own lives for whatever lies ahead. Let me explain what that means. That means we choose carefully what we allow to occupy our attention, and we accept some hard realities regarding the times in which we live. Let me put this more bluntly. It's time to choose a side assuming that you haven't already done so. Now, if your choice is to be on the side of freedom, then bickering over gun control is a waste of time. It's not that there isn't a serious principle at stake, but it's just the acknowledgement that the time for arguing over this principle is long past. Instead, we should be steadily and thoughtfully building our shooting supplies, developing our skill at arms. This is akin to voting with your wallet, and it's something that Americans have been doing so at an absolutely astonishing rate for about the last 10 years. Maybe longer. Actually, I think back to Obama's first term. I think that's the first time we really saw the store shelves stripped of ammo and reloading supplies. And you may think, well, that sounds like a very panicky overreaction. You know what? On some people's part, it was. At the same time, the value of high-quality defensive firearms training cannot be overstated. That's what will immunize you to the popular myths and the misconceptions regarding firearms and their role in personal protection. This is, a, this is one of the hardest things about going on social media these days. All the experts, the people who know, well, I was in the military and I carried one of those high-power, high-velocity weapons that to have no place among our civilian population. Okay, well, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm, you know, you're welcome to your opinion. But there's a little bit of a difference here. Well, we weren't even allowed to touch them unless uh, we had permission to check them out of the armory and go to train or actually use them in combat. Yes, and you were a piece of government property, whereas I am not. Do you see the difference there? I mean, it's, it's, I know, it's subtle, but there's a huge difference. See, our personal tool chests of freedom should be well stocked. And that's whether or not others express disapproval. And it should be done out of a sense of personal responsibility rather than panic that something may be banned soon. Look, free men do not beg for permission from their would-be rulers to exercise God-given or natural rights. Free men understand their rights and they have sufficient courage to defend them as necessary. Now, if you're thinking popularity is a consideration, I'm going to tell you, no, it's not. And the, the willingness to stand for what's right is a much stronger consideration than, is this stance going to be popular? I can tell you right now, if you stand for that, uh, that right to keep and bear arms, you're going to be unpopular in some circles. Embrace it. That's okay. In some cases, the, the, the people who are condemning you, if you look very closely, you'd think, yeah, I don't know if I'd really want them agreeing with me or not. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm better off that they don't. The bottom line is politicians will sell us out. It's in their nature to portray themselves as the solution to every problem. If you listen to the president's press conference yesterday, everything he's proposing would do absolutely nothing to stop the kinds of shootings that are being trumpeted as evidence that there's an epidemic and a public health menace. Isn't that interesting? They're using that, uh, that terminology. It's almost like someone realized, hey, as long as we couch this in health terms, we can get away with anything. They've had a whole year to see how that works. 
our interests are not their interests when it comes to these politicians. Once we understand that the necessity of the right to keep and bear arms is is a very real necessity to protect life, liberty, and property, we don't need to argue with those who seem most determined to infringe on that right. Don't waste your time. Don't waste their time. Your strongest answer to their misguided pleadings and threats should be the unapologetic exercise of all of our rights through peaceful yet determined actions rather than just angry words. No, they're not going to approve, but they will get the message. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back once again. I appreciate you joining me today as we revel in wrong think. It's kind of fun, isn't it? Right? Questioning the prevailing, prevailing narratives. Sticking your finger in the eye of those who wish to rule you. I mean, nicely, of course. You say excuse me as you do it. Excuse me. Poink. (laughs) But uh, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to stand up. It might as well be you and me. If you understand right from wrong, trust me, you are well on your way. There are a lot of folks who are really squishy on this concept right now. And, And I don't even know how to describe this. I mean, maybe you find yourself wondering, how do so many people become indoctrinated with collectivist ideals? The kind of ideals that, like Kent McManigal says, presume that, well, if a majority of us think that uh, you should be forced to wear pantyhose over your head everywhere you go, then we took a vote. You should have to do it. Legally, we have a right to force you to do it. I'm sorry, but that's a load of garbage. No, they don't. Where do people get these ideas? Where do they become indoctrinated with this kind of thinking? I think a lot of us would probably say, well, look to our colleges, look to our universities. That's where you're going to find, you know, the, the hotbed of uh, this kind of collectivist thought. I actually found a great article here from Zachary Yost. This is from Mises.org. How federal funding is used to control colleges and universities. Interesting stuff here. He says the Washington Post reports that a group of 33 current and former students at Christian colleges are suing the Department of Education in a class action lawsuit in an attempt to abolish any religious exemptions for schools that do not abide by the current sexual and gender zeitgeist sweeping the land. Now, the plaintiffs argue that by holding to orthodox Christian teachings on sexuality, these universities are engaged in unconstitutional discrimination due to the federal funding they receive. The lawsuit filed by the Religious Exemption Accountability Project is timed to coincide with the passage of the so-called Equality Act, which uh, there's a link to this uh, in in the article as well, which uh, in in the House of Representatives and to give uh, narrative momentum to the push to force the progressive conception of sexuality and gender on private institutions. The director of the Religious Exemption Accountability Act, or project rather, is explicit saying that he hopes the lawsuit will ensure there are not any religious exemptions if the Equality Act ends up being a law. Okay, hit pause for a moment. Does that mean what it sounds like? No religious exemptions if the Equality Act ends up being a law. That essentially means your freedom of religion, your freedom of conscience, which I would argue are two of the most important natural rights that any individual possesses will now be subject to whatever the prevailing whim of current law says. 
Yeah, that doesn't sound like a very good thing. We will force you to believe and to admit there is no such thing as sin. In fact, the only sin that there is is believing that there is right and wrong. No, that's seriously, that's how some people believe. Now, Zachary Yost says the situation is revealing in several ways. For one thing, it speaks to the crusading impulse at the heart of the progressive politics. Obedience to the current line must be total and unchallenged. Schools mentioned in the lawsuit like Baylor, Bob Jones, and Liberty are not shy about their beliefs about sexuality and what's expected of students who attend these schools. Yet these 33 students chose to attend anyway and now are seeking to bend the schools to their will. These schools are a fraction of all the institutions of higher learning in the United States, but much like the Borg, progressives demand absolute conformity and acquiescence to their ideas of diversity and tolerance. By the way, those are both in quotation marks, as they should be. The other important aspect of the situation is why it's possible in the first place. The plaintiffs have the ability to sue the Department of Education to punish the schools they dislike because those schools take federal funding. Now, schools need money. The federal government seems to have lots of it, but it seems all the more clear that these schools have, in effect, made a deal with the devil. Even if this lawsuit fails, the sexuality-obsessed zealots will not rest until they've crushed all, all resistance. And if they eventually succeed... The schools will either have to compromise their beliefs or they'll have to make do without the federal money, in which case they will have to radically restructure and possibly won't survive. Now, it's likely that these schools will have to face the reality of Christ's admonishment in the Gospel of of Matthew that ye cannot serve God and mammon. By the way, uh, my friend Connor Boyack has an absolutely incredible book which I would strongly recommend you take a look at, Christ versus Caesar, one ma- or two masters, one choice. Seriously, it's the best book I've read this year. Conservative writer Rod Dreher has been sounding the alarm about the ri- how the rise of wokeness is going to lead to more and more of these kinds of issues for years. And he notes how the students bringing the lawsuit are absurd for having chosen to go to such schools in the first place. And that it's not enough that LGBT folks have nearly every university in the country. They're going to smash the few Christian holdouts. Now, while Dreher is right to be concerned about the situation, he fails to mention there's a simple, though that's not easy to say, solution. Schools that don't accept federal money can't be blackmailed into changing their beliefs. Now, this is obviously not an easy way to save the problem, says Zachary Yost, but it's already being done by highly principled schools that have for decades sought to preserve their independence even though it made things more difficult. There are just a handful of schools that don't take any federal money, the largest and best known being Hillsdale College in Michigan and Grove City College in western Pennsylvania. He says it will will likely not surprise readers to learn that both institutions are intimately connected to the Austrian tradition. The desk of Ludwig von Mises is located at Hillsdale College, and its economics department emphasizes the Austrian School of Economics especially as found in the writings of Ludwig von Mises and Friedrich A. Hayek. Similarly, Grove City is a bastion of Austrian economics. Not only are several professors there associated with the Mises Institute, such as as, uh, Jeff Herbener, but it also houses a very large collection of Mises papers. Now, these schools don't receive any federal money, and the students who attend cannot utilize any federal grants or federally-backed student loans. The situation arose as a result of lawsuits in the 1980s that led to the passage of a law mandating that schools must abide by federal law if they receive federal funding. Choosing principle over expediency, a small handful of schools sacrificed their access to the federal feeding trough to maintain their independence and hold true to their beliefs. I say good for them.
Zachary Yost says the Mises Institute has wisely joined this small handful of schools in choosing not to allow the students of its new graduate school program to receive government funding of any kind. Zachary says, as I recently argued, the state is necessarily hostile to Christianity because it is a rival religion that opposes the political religion of the state. Right? Caesar versus Christ. Conservatives and Christians such as Dreher are increasingly aware of this hostility, but unless they do more to sever themselves from the federal government's all-encompassing embrace, they will soon realize it's too late to escape with either their beliefs or their institutions intact. What a great article. Again, this is from Zachary Yost from the uh, Mises.org website. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. A lot of good lessons here. One of the big ones being, you know, anytime someone is offering you money from the government, and I don't care whether it's your state or local or federal government, there are going to be strings or conditions attached to that money. As this pertains to education, this is one of the reasons why I never could get behind the idea of, hey, we need vouchers. If we had vouchers, why this would, this would allow people to have more educational choice. And on the surface, it appears that's true. But the bottom line is, those vouchers require that money to first pass through the hands of some bureaucracy, whether it's at the state or federal level, first. And if it's passing through bureaucracy, not only are they going to take a pretty healthy scoop right off the top for their overhead, and it's considerable. That's one of the things that, uh, that's one of the privileges of, you know, uh, funding yourself through the taxpayers. But there's always going to be conditions every single time. Now, tuition tax credits, on the other hand, I like those better than vouchers for the simple reason that the money never leaves your pocket. You simply get the credit when you do your taxes, but the money stays in you. It's your money. It's funny, years ago, I had a a pretty significant uh, little uh, tete-a-tete going back and forth with the superintendent of the public schools for the county in which I lived. Because she was maintaining, well, that's, uh, that's stealing money from the, the taxpayers or stealing money from the children. It's stealing money from other schools. She actually, I think, referred to it as our money. And I'm thinking, well, what's, what's this we stuff, pale face? I mean, come on. Whose money is it? The person who earned it. With tuition tax credits, that money stays right in their pocket and is not subject to taxation, leaving them free to use it for things that really matter to them, like schooling their children at a private school or homeschooling or some other alternative than simply sending them to the public school. I don't know. It's, it's an entitlement mindset that I find uh, simultaneously puzzling and also just a little bit offensive. Anyway, federal funding, it's a great way to, uh, to get people to fall into line. Education is just one of many areas where this happens. You know, you look at a lot of the lockdown uh, policies that came up in the last year. There was federal funding tied to it. I think there's a great lesson here, especially during a time when, uh, you know, the federal government is throwing money around by the trillions. That was, there was a time where that number, a trillion, actually impressed people. Now we talk about it like it's chump change. Oh, this is only three trillion? Oh, man, I wanted six. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
Welcome back to the show. Hey, listen, if you are a first-time listener, I want to ask a small favor of you. If you're finding value, and this is only if you are finding value in the information that you hear on this podcast or this program, I would ask you to please go to my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com and click and become a subscriber to the podcast. There's a link right down at the bottom of the page, and I'm going to take it one step further and say, if you find value, if you think, man, this guy's doing a pretty good job of speaking the truth, or at least he's telling me things in a way that I haven't heard others talk about them, I would ask you to consider becoming a supporter of this program. You can do it through a Patreon program. You can uh, become a regular monthly donor through some of our podcast platforms, a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. Every bit of it is so greatly appreciated. And and I'm telling you that I, I view what I do not just as a job, not just this is not to build a monument to me. I feel uh, I feel a certain kind of sacred stewardship. Like I believe I will one day stand accountable before God, and will will have to answer. Did you use the resources, the talents, the abilities, the tools that you were given wisely? And so, what I'm telling you is, uh, every person who helps to support this program is helping me to focus like a laser on doing exactly that. And I so appreciate it. Years ago, I found a blog. Uh, by a guy who goes by the name The Z-Man. And I've looked for this blog in vain and and have not been able to find it for many, many years. And today, as I was browsing through lourockwell.com, lo and behold, I find The Z-Man is, in fact, alive and well. His blog is there. And, And I found this remarkable article, the title, Time for a Divorce. And I know this may seem like kind of a dark subject to dive into or to seem happy about, but in case you hadn't noticed, the American public seems just a little bit divided these days. Just a little. I know. I was as surprised as you are. But the prospect of separating and going our own ways seems unthinkable to many. I maintain it's still better than its balkanized alternative of bloodshed. So I wanted to share the Z-Man's take on why it's time for a divorce before things get uglier. The Z-Man says elections in America have always been contentious things, as the point of them is to get all sides as agitated as possible. If you wanted to find the point at which our elections turned ugly, it would be when the concept of turnout became the focus. The surest way to get your guys motivated to vote is to convince them that the, other, the alternative is pure evil, the worst thing imaginable. And since one side will always lose, it means something close to half the country is always angry at the result. Now, the Z-Man says the thing is, though, it was always a game, and most people got it. The candidates would say the vilest things about one another, but then carry on like old pals during a debate, showing the world they didn't really mean those things. In fact, this is why the left has controlled the country. Everyone else has always been sure the left was not really serious about what they were saying. And despite it all, many people remain convinced that the left today is just putting on a show. Well, that may be one of the factors creating the current crisis. The eruption of mass media over the last couple of decades puts the left in our face all the time. There's no escaping politics today, which means there's no escaping the left. Watch a sporting event and there will be lefty political preaching. Check your weather for a trip to the beach and you get a lecture on global warming. Go outside and you see people wearing three masks in their car, letting you know that they are in that cult. Now, of course, social media is like standing in front of a fire hose. Even if you only want to follow something banal like entertainment news, you will be drenched in political commentary, almost entirely from the left. The, ca- the, the carnies all fashion themselves as philosophers now. 
The athletes have made politics a feature of their act. These are the dumbest, crudest people in our society, but they are sure you need to know what they have to say about current events. And he says there's another part to this. Along with not being able to escape the left-wing crazies, it's becoming increasingly clear that there is no living with them. Politics, regardless of the system, is about compromise. The opposing sides find some middle ground that they can accept or some combination of their proposals that prevent either side from feeling cheated by the other. In a democracy, compromise is based on the understanding that both sides want what is best. How do you reach a compromise with someone who thinks invisible men from a faraway land used mind control to change an election? On top of that, they were perfectly willing to destroy the country over it. If one side is sure the other side is evil, there can never be a compromise. The best you can get is a truce in the hostilities, but eventually one side will attack again. After all, any compromise with evil is immoral on its face, so the only, th- mo- the, the only moral thing to do is confront it. Take a look at this tweet from a man who's the former director of the CIA and NSA, and there's a link to this. He's concerned that, and that we need to round up citizens and put them in concentration camps because they said things he does not like. Now, the regime has already imprisoned dozens of people on trumped-up charges. America is now a country with political prisoners being tortured while in prison. And this ghoul wants to institutionalize the persecution and torture of Americans who disagree with official policy. How can you compromise with a person who literally wants you dead? Even if you dismiss him as a fanatic, look at the responses. People replying to him are both demented and delusional. It's not unreasonable to say that many of them are suffering from a form of mental illness. If you think the Capitol protests were an insurrection or comparable to a terrorist attack, the Z-Man says you need to be institutionalized. There's no reasoning or compromising with someone in this condition. The thing is, of course, that the majority of the ruling class truly believes they are confronting an invisible army of white supremacists. In fact, if you polled the media, you can be sure that the overwhelming majority think the protesters are getting off easy. At the same time, they think the two blacks who killed the Uber driver in D.C. were given rough justice because racism. We live with people who think it's fine for blacks to murder people, but you cannot question the results of the last election. The old civic nationalist response to this is, well, we just have to make sure to vote for the Republicans in the next election. Even if conservatives were something other than apologists for their masters on the left, it doesn't change the fact that close to half the country wants to murder you. They're not going to lose an election and then think, geez, maybe I don't need to murder that guy with the Trump flag. Keith Olbermann, we're looking your direction. Instead, they're going to get even more deranged and murderous. He says, again, politics has always been contentious, and the left has always thought they were on a holy mission against the forces of evil. Kind of like the French Revolution. The pretty lie that made it possible to live together was that we all wanted what was best for the country. Like a couple realizing they no longer love one another, we have reached the point where we we know we can no longer live with that 20% called the left. The only possible compromise is with ourselves, which is just another way of describing surrender. So the Z-Man says if there's a solution to the current crisis, it will come when enough white people give up on this relationship with the left. The people living in whites-only neighborhoods chanting about anti-racism are beyond reason. The people demanding the state torture citizens who question official policy can never be trusted. The only peaceful solution is peaceful separation. The only compromise is how to best divvy up the property, and even that is only to expedite the divorce. He says it's time to move on. Now, I get it. There's a pretty hard edge on what he's saying here. But I also think there's some underlying truth. I 
you know, I, I'll grant you, I try to steer clear of the left-right paradigm because I really think it's the collectivists versus the individual. But in this case, I'm, I'm going to have to allow for what the Z-man is, is saying here in the simple sense that now that the political left in America has gained control of the White House of Congress, um, you know, to a large extent, corporate America, they're pressing it for all they're worth. This is what's behind that uh, insatiable push for gun control. These folks know full well they're backing us into a corner, and they know at some point we're going to put our foot down and say enough. And the last thing they want to see is people with their own personally owned firearms and the skill and the will to use them to defend themselves backed into a corner with nowhere else to go. I think Boston Tea Party said it this way, and this is, this is harsh, but again, I, just because it's harsh doesn't mean it's true. He says the reason politicians don't want you to have an AR-15 is because they're afraid that one day they're going to be marched at the barrel of an AR-15 to a gallows when they answer for all the things that they have been doing to the American people. Yikes. No, it's, it, it's, it strikes me as harsh, too. But can we deny that that's not a possibility of what they're thinking? I mean, the, the fiction that, oh, it was an insurrection and they were in there to try to overthrow the government. That's the first time I can think of in history where unarmed people, and, and for that matter, only a few hundred unarmed people, entered the Capitol building. Some of them entered violently. Many did not. We're supposed to believe that was an attempted overthrow of the government, a violent armed uprising. Where were the arms? I mean, I look, I'm not an expert on history, but I have seen enough of, uh, you know, uprisings throughout uh, my study of history as well as through current events. When people really rise up against their government, you know, take Romania, 1989. What did the people do? Did they go and, uh, you know, stand around the Romanian capital and beg uh, Nicolae, Nicholas, uh, Nicolae Ceausescu and his wife to uh, step down from power? No. They went in there armed, they gave them a show trial, took them outside, and they killed them. That's ugly. That is not something I want to see happen. And it's not even close to what was in danger of happening at the Capitol. This is why we have to get through the narratives to get to the truth. This is The Brian Hyde Show.